Anybody in here have any irrational fears? Anybody? Anybody have any that you'd like to share? Some phobias that you have? Andrew, what do you got? Horses. Hor- I, now, I actually get that. They're huge. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a good irrational one. Anybody else have any other irrational fears? Yes. Snakes. That one's rational. Clowns. Okay. What have you He doesn't want to say it. <laughs> What's that? Heights. Ooh, man, there's a lot of people have that fear of heights, don't they? Irrational, you have an irrational fear of irrational pastors. It's, it's a nightmare right now, Steve. All right, yeah. Hugs. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't have said it out loud, and everybody's going to hug you after church. Charity knows that. That's why she keeps hugging you. Um, let's see how many of these I got. I put some pictures up here of some of those. There you go. Oh, man. Oh, the snakes. Got the irrational fear of snakes. Um, now, nobody mentioned this one. Uh, my, I, I don't necessarily have a fear of spiders, but I'm, I'm kind of like my dad. Like when you walk in and you, you run into the cobweb, and you, you don't know where the spider's at. And then you're like, sure, there's a gigantic spider like right somewhere in your hair or something. Right? Um, uh, you mentioned heights. Had to throw a heights video in there. Uh, just can you imagine this job? 1,500 foot. Got it. Somebody's got to change the light bulb. Look at that guy. Does anybody's hands get a little, your palms get a little sweaty just thinking about being up that high? <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, look at this guy. He's got hook, hook. He's got the safety. Oh, but then he gets on the outside. Look at him. I'm thinking, man, if that, what if that one fell? And it's like, went around, what, how do you, and then you got, what's this gap? Who built this thing? Oh, man, I know, just to keep going. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to, I wasn't going to say it, but Donna, yeah. Just be glad you're not the guy guiding the drone at the bottom if he does, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I figured I figured some of you would have the ooh man, can't even look at that one, right? Oh my mother in law, she can't even watch it anymore. Oh, she can't even look. All right. Oh, and then I knew somebody would have it, but this is a good clown. This is Bozo. You guys remember Bozo the Clown? That's even worse. Um, oh, is my mom in here? Where's my mom at? Nursery. Oh, oh, yeah, how about that one? Kind of cute. Oh, no, my mom would say no, 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 no. No, and if, if you weren't afraid of those, think about this one next time you sit down. <laughs> Then we can start combi- combining some fears, couldn't we? If you, oh, 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 my word, no, please, no, the, the fear of that, yikes. And some of you are like, you don't need to have the snake or the rat in there, just, just the bathroom. 
Yeah, right? Germs. Okay. Irrational fears. Oh, I went too long. My thing turned off. Okay, this is not really what I want to talk about. It seems to me, though, I think I have a blank slide, yeah. It seems to me, though, that, and I I couldn't think of the right word to call it, but when it comes to fear, it seems to me that there's either two branches of it, or maybe it's two different varieties, or maybe it's two different aspects of fear that can be at play. Let me give you an example. Um, I would say my dad probably has maybe even more than anybody in this room, a healthy fear of electricity, okay? For those of you that didn't know, my dad was a lineman, uh, worked for the power company, and so I have to play a second of this. Yeah? Wait, got to hear the first line. I am a lineman for the county. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I can't say my dad's a lineman without playing I'm a lineman for the county. Every time I say it out loud in my head, that song starts to play in my head. Um, I'm sure that my dad, more than anybody else, has a healthy fear of electricity. What's the high, Dad, what's the, high, the highest voltage you've ever been near? Volts? Whew. Right? Could you hear it? <laughs> Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Um, he's told me a few stories of some, some close calls. Um, but here's the thing. That fear, probably better understood, better realized in his mind than probably anybody else in this room, potentially, right? Especially get those high, big numbers of volts. Yet, that was his job. So there's this aspect of fear that that can produce in you not that irrational response, but actually the most rational of responses. Does that make sense? I mean, I I think it's kind of like the difference between saying I'm afraid of heights versus I'm afraid of falling, right? Uh, Some of us have that just the look of it brings it about. But I think the the realistic part of it, I'm sure that the guy that's climbing, he's probably got a a fear of heights, but it's a fear that doesn't incapacitate, but it's a fear that makes him even more cautious. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a word uh, that we're going to see today. The word is translated beware. Um, I didn't, didn't put it up here on for you, the, but the Greek word that's translated beware, it means to hold the mind towards, that is to pay attention to, to be cautious about, Right, apply oneself to, adhere to. It's like this stick. It's like you're facing it closely. So this word that's coming, you're going to see translated "beware," is is it's not this thought of fear just in general, but it's it's this reality that there's things that you ought to be careful around, that you ought to be whoom, so focused. My dad, like myself, our attention spans aren't the best. But I imagine that when he was around, what did you say, 345,000? 345,000 volts, he was laser-focused, right? That's the idea in this word. Does that make sense? Um, I myself, I don't have a fear of snakes, but I really don't want to be bit by one. 
And so the times that I've encountered snakes, I'm like, I, man, I, I'm kind of ADD, but man, I'm focused, right? There's things that ought to make us overly cautious. I'm telling you all this to say that this idea of fear, you're going to see it played out today. In fact, uh, the passage I have for you today, it mentions this word beware, but then the word that is translated fear, which is the Greek word phobos, where we get phobia from, you're going to see that word used several times. You're going to hear it said, don't fear this, but then there's going to be some things that says, do fear this. Okay? So we're talking about fear is kind of a backdrop to everything we're thinking about today, and I thought it would be good to think about that in terms of what we're talking about. Now, before I go any further, I haven't prayed yet, so I'm going to take a moment before I dig into the Scripture. I'm going to pray that God would open up His Word to us. We're in Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be at. And just right before I begin to pray here, I just want you to think about, right, start, start saying, Lord, okay, I want to I hear what this you may have for me today from your word. Um, we just left the Pharisees. Remember that from last week? We just left those Pharisees, and the Pharisees are plotting now to kill Jesus. They got done with that conversation, and they said, we're going to get him, right? He's going down. We're going to get him. We're going to kill him, Okay. That dislike is going to be contrasted with some other things, but I think you're going to find, as we usually do, some of Jesus' responses surprising. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray now for just a moment before we begin and before we dig into your word. I want to ask, God, that you would, um, Lord, fill me up with your spirit as I speak. God, I ask that you would guide my words, Lord, that this would not be my own just thoughts or ideas, but Lord, you'd, you'd guide me into the truth of what your passage is about, that you have guided me as I study, but that you will continue to guide as I the, down to the very words that are, that are spoken today. Lord, I pray that you would also be with those that listen, that they would hear what they need to hear today from your word that is your truth. And I pray that your spirit would be an active part of this entire process, from my thoughts and my words to the reception of those things. Lord, I thank you, God, for your inspired word that we're able to read. Lord, I just pray now that you would guide us through it this morning in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so chapter 12 starts off like this. It says, in the meantime, and this just doesn't mean at the same time because Jesus is now left, but basically like that while all this is going on, on the one hand, you also have these things going on, and it's really a contrasting thing. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered. You, do you feel the contrast from those Pharisees who are like, we're going to kill him, to the, this popularity that is being showed? When so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, primarily, first off, and then he says it, and there's that word, beware. That's the word I was talking about. Focus in, beware, caution. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And in case you don't know what that is, he just says it, hypocrisy, right? That's what it is. Jesus has a huge following, but he knows that his popularity is temporary, right? Will it not be some of these same people that not this long from now, when he's being taken to the cross, they're going to be the ones that are chanting, crucify him, crucify him. And so as he's encountering this mass popularity, instead of being optimistic, in fact, I'm going to put this quote up here, Daryl Box says, instead of optimism, 
which a lot of us would want to have. Like if suddenly we had thousands of people wanting to come to Edgewood, instead of, you know, that'd be, once, I mean, I don't think it'd be awesome. I'd be freaked out. But uh, I think a lot of us would be like, man, that's awesome. But at the same, but what does Jesus do? Instead of being optimistic, Jesus responds with realism. The popular crush of curiosity will not change what he knows is the destiny of his movement. We saw those pieces start to fall into place last week, did we not, with the Pharisees? It's all the little chess pieces are moving. Christ knows where this is going. Instead of a celebration of this following, Jesus turns around. I imagine those disciples were taken a little bit off guard by this. I mean, I imagine in some senses they would have just been like, oh, man, you know, the Pharisees are hating us, but wow. And Jesus turns around and he says specifically to them, to his disciples, primarily, not just to the mass. He says to them, be careful. Interesting response, is it not? The warning is a warning against leaven, yeast. This metaphor, I think, would have made a lot more sense to them than it does to most of us. There's, in fact, there's an interesting, you get into all kinds of interesting things in the commentaries about this idea of the leaven. In fact, one commentary differentiated between just yeast in general and leaven. Leaven being previous piece of bread. Have you, you know how that works where you can take, you got some dough, you can take a, just a piece of that dough and that can be used. Because what is yeast? It's just a living organism, right? And it expands and grows within it. And so there's this idea. In fact, there's this caution. In fact, you go back to Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter 12 talks about a yearly purging of all the old dough. Um, there's contamination realities. And so some of these things would have made a lot of sense to them. But for our sake, what Jesus is saying is that there's this thing that the Pharisees have that gets into things the way yeast gets into bread dough, and it starts to permeate it. This leaven that the Pharisees have is what is known as hypocrisy. The threat wasn't, watch out for the Pharisees, which would make more sense to me because what did we just hear the Pharisees doing? We're going to kill them. They're plotting. But Jesus doesn't say, watch out for the Pharisees. He says, watch out that you're not like them. That's the real thing you got to be worried about. I thought, man, that hits home right now, does it not? We are so overly cautious. We're so worried about what people might be doing, plotting against us. And there's nothing wrong with that to one degree, but I think if Jesus was here, he would say the same thing he said to them. He'd be saying the same thing to us. Yeah, but here's what you need to watch out for. Hypocrisy in your own hearts. Watch out what's going on inside of you, right? I think sometimes even all the more so when you see the world get even worse and worse and worse, it's easy to start thinking that you're pretty good, right? The danger is real. We covered what this hypocrisy looked like in the last two sermons, so I just want to real quick just go through those things. One of them was cleaning up the outside but not attending to the inside, right? Cleaning up the outside, not attending to what's going on in here. Attending to the minor details of God's law while neglecting the big issues. Specifically, Jesus mentions justice and the love of God, hypocrisy. The third one that Jesus mentioned with those Pharisees was loving recognition and admiration. The fourth one was ultimately leading people to death instead of to life. They were unlike unmarked graves. The next one was burdening people but not helping them carry their burdens and or not even carrying the burden themselves. 
right? The next one was honoring the prophets of old, but not heeding the prophets of old. They were ones who stood with the same need of the same condemnation that those prophets did, and they were building tombs to those prophets, but they were doing the same things that those prophets would have condemned. And finally, there was the taking away the key of knowledge so that they do not enter, and they hindered hindered others from entering themselves. That's what the leaven is, this hypocrisy. That's the caution that Jesus is telling his disciples to watch out for, to keep your eye on it. Don't let one bit of this old leaven get into this new dough and let it work its work. Don't. Some examples of that, I think, one of them, honoring the old, the way things used to be, but not lifting a finger to help, not engaging or teaching or helping. I hear a lot of that way you used to be, and we, we, we weep for that, and I think there's some good in that. But Jesus even talks about not engaging and teaching and helping others. People tend to sit and bemoan the way the world has gone, but doing nothing to assist and doing nothing to assist in the change that needs to happen by the preaching and the teaching of the gospel. Don't get me wrong when I'm talking about the change that needs to happen. People don't just need to start doing good things. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to get saved. Another example, loving the scholarly, knowing the verses, knowing the arguments, knowing the debates, having the ability with your intellectual biblical knowledge to crush anyone, followed by evil laugh. <laughs> but in reality, you're not entering and you're not helping anyone else enter with all of that knowledge that you have. That's a real danger. How about the ones that are so meticulous? There are so many things that you're getting so, so very right. Detailed observance, but the big things. What Jesus said, justice and the love of God are neglected. How about loving the praise, the recognition, the inwardly, privately, secretly, deep down inside, you know it and God knows it. Evil is entertained, right? Fed, nurtured. Leon Morris, though, and this is where I want to go with this. Leon Morris, one of my other commentators, said this, though. Many things can be said about hypocrisy, but on this occasion, Jesus chooses to point out that it is short-sighted. Think about that for a moment. This is where Jesus goes with this. Listen to what he says next. You know what short-sighted means? I used to get that so confused as a kid. Short-sighted is the one where you can see what's close, but you can't see. You, you can see this, but you can't see that. Right? I'm short-sighted. I can see up close. I can't see far away which and some of that's going too, which is frustrating. But you can't see far away. Listen to what Jesus says. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Let's just sit with that piece of truth for a moment. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be known. This is a proverbial phrase that Jesus throws out there. Think about it. There is not a thing 
Not a thing that will not one day be revealed. The reality is you can never really fool everybody, can you? And in fact, that's exactly what this is talking about. There's an omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere at once God who sees everything and knows everything. And one day, all will come to light. Hypocrisy, which depends on hidden, is very short-sighted because it will not ultimately last or work. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the truth. That's it right there. If you think you've got everybody fooled, even yourself, but the who you are when nobody is watching is a lie. There's always someone watching that's God. And at one point, all will come to light. Does that make anybody... Let's just be honest. That's nerve-wracking. Is it not? Hmm. That's nerve-wracking. Get that little pit in your stomach just thinking about it. Let me just put this up there. The hypocritical life, that life, that act, which some of you know that that word hypocrite comes from a word that they use to describe someone who is an actor. The hypocritical life is a short-sighted way to live. And that's the argument that Jesus presents to his disciples thing the Pharisees are missing is they may get everything they think they need, but it's not going to be permanent. It's not going to last. You could get through this entire life and people not know who you really are, but one day we will all know. And God already knows is what Jesus is saying. He goes on, even down to our words He says, therefore, whatever you say, whatever you said in the dark, shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. This is Jesus' words. Private rooms that the innermost room of someone's house, as opposed to for them, they had those flat rooftops they could get up on to get the voice out there. The things that you might be willing to say even in those darkest of rooms, five layers of wall, soundproof, Jesus says, those things, one day, rooftops. Daryl Bach says this. He says, the figure of speech describes our most private practices. That's what Jesus is conveying. This is a classic reversal theme. The most private of acts and utterances become the most public. It is this exposure that makes hypocrisy useless in the long run. And the heroic deed done in private 
an object of admiration eventually. Let's not forget the flip side to this coin. If a person has things to hide, it's a warning. Honestly, this is what I'm doing today. I'm following Jesus' teaching that we're, I'm hoping to <laughs> proclaim to you today is a warning. That's what Jesus is doing. He's warning us. And it's not warning them, right? There's crowds around Jesus. And he's not warning them. Who's he warning? His followers. And so this is properly preached in a church of people who claim to love and know Jesus. Warned. If a person has things to hide, it is a warning. But if a person acts admirably, the passage is a motivation. The Pharisees have have much to fear. True disciples, by their contrastive behavior, have little, or I should say ought to have little, if you're living the life of a true disciple, as opposed to the life of a Pharisee. That hypocritical life, the life of the outward Christian, the life of the honoring the prophets but not heeding the prophets, the life of honoring the old and requiring much without lifting a finger to help, the life of the meticulous follower yet neglectful of what matters in the kingdom of God, the life of one who obtains praise and recognition but has shut the kingdom in people's faces. This life, this hypocritical life, is short-sighted. I think that doesn't ultimately help. What I'm sure makes people the most cautious is not simply being told to be cautious of something, but understanding why to be cautious. And so that's where we're going to shift, or that I should say that's where Jesus shifts next. The exposure is something that is scary, fear-inducing in and of itself. But that is not the ultimate game-changer. And quite frankly, if this causes you to fear, but only because of the exposure to people element, You might be missing the point. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. If me talking about these things, if the scary part about all of it is the what's private is now shattered on the rooftops, just the thought of everybody else knowing is the key scary part, I think you still might be missing the point. Which is what Jesus, where Jesus goes next. I I will tell you, that can be a serious motivation, can it not? I don't have problem using that motivation of those sorts of things. There's a great motivation of, for me in my own heart, and I'm going to talk about this again in just a second, but there's a great motivation in me in my own heart to not, I don't want to embarrass God. I don't want to make God look bad. And so that adds some caution of what like people's perspective and what they might see of trying to live that upright life. But ultimately, that's not going to be the thing that changes the heart because if you're just thinking about that, there are times on this world, in this, in this life, where no human eyes will see what you do. And something else ought to be played into the whole situation. Let's take a look at the next one. By the way, I, I wrote a note to myself here, the tone. And I actually put in my notes, Matt, make sure you mention the tone. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to mention the tone here. It's easy for me to shift into like, right? But I think the tone is portrayed in the very first few words of this next verse. Jesus, in fact, this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus addresses them. Now, in John 15, he'll talk about his disciples being his friends, but this is the only place I know of that's recorded in the Gospels where Jesus actually says to them, my friends. 
I don't think that this is meant to be the way necessarily I tend to lean in a kind of mentality. I think this is more of a, listen, there's a very real and present danger that each and every one of you are facing. And Jesus knows this danger. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how great you've been in the life. I don't care how people look at you. There's a very real danger for each and every one of his followers to actually be Pharisees, hypocrites. I think uh, the Ravi Zacharias of this world, I wonder in my heart how many times he knew and was convicted but he was able to maintain this outward. For those of you that don't know who he is, a pastor who in many ways helped so many people with the truth that he preached. But he was this. Outwardly, but inwardly, there was something. He was living a whole other life. There's a very real danger for each and every one of us. I can't help but wonder if Ravi Zacharias, if it probably didn't happen overnight. Right? But there's a very real danger in this shifting or sliding into this hypocritical, pharisaical life. When you have those secret inmost things that don't get called out. Verse 4 Jesus says, I tell you, friends, I tell you, my friends, do not, and here we get this word, phobos. Phobia. Do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. This to me in my mind is like saying don't fear the height, fear the fall. Maybe I should say don't fear the height or the fall, fear the sudden stop at the end, right? Don't fear the snake, fear the bite. It's hard to differentiate those things, is it not? It's very difficult to separate those things out. Don't fear the snake, fear the bite. I'm like, well, the snake's the bite. That's what it is. Don't fear the wire, fear the electrocution. <laughs> right? Jesus does not guarantee that he will protect one's physical life. Please understand that this is not there. He's talking about, he says, hey, don't fear the ones that can only do that. There's a lot of things going on in this world, and I, I got to tell you, there, there's, some, there's some things that could happen in this world to get to the point where they could, quote, unquote, rightly say, we're going to kill you now. Jesus says, don't be afraid of that, because that's the extent, that is the limit. Their, their ability over you is Limited. There's a line drawn that they cannot pass. They can go that far. They can't do anything past that. The most they can do is kill you. And Jesus says, don't fear the one that that's the extent of their abilities and power. Don't be afraid of that. This verse in combination with the next verse reminds me of an eye doctor who's trying to get you. You know how when you go to the eye doctor and they go, how's this? This or this? This or this? Anybody ever done that? Here or here, right? This one or this one? You know, this one? Is this good? Is this good? Or this one? Oh, okay. Wait, this? 
or this? Okay, there we go. How about this one? No, this one? This verse starts to bring things into focus for me. Right? There's things that are fearful things, but Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of that. There's something, what she's going to say, you ought to fear. Right? This, this, this. You afraid of this? You afraid of this? I should apologize to my mom right now. Or this. (laughs) Sorry, mom. I tell you, my friends, he says what? I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Notice how many times do you see the word fear in this last verse? I just gave it away to you. I'll help you out. Those that can count, feel free to use your fingers. Three. So in the previous verse, he says, don't fear these people for what they can do, but... In this verse, he tells them, he talks about fear three times. I warn you whom to fear, and then it's stated as a command, fear him. Who's the him? Who is it? Who's the him? God. Fear him who, don't, don't, don't read quickly. Fear him who, after he has killed. You can still do that too, right? But his authority extends beyond the grave. Don't fear him, uh, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. This word that's translated here, hell, there's a couple different words that can be translated hell. One of them is the Greek word Hades. Hades is more of that general place of the, where people go after they die. But there's another word that's often translated hell in the New Testament that Jesus uses quite often. It's the word Gehenna. It comes from the Valley of Hinnom. There was this valley outside of Jerusalem, and I know a lot of you know this already. It was a valley that had, at, at the peak of Israel's idolatry, was used for child sacrifice. It was eventually shut down, but became what we could call a dump, a trash dump, this valley of Hinnom. And there are some scholars from this time period that have written, that have, have found, we found some writers that talk about that, that there was most likely a burning of the trash in this valley 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a fire coming out of this place. And so it became to them a mental picture, not of just the place of death, but there's a place of punishment. Not discipline, not correction, not a correctional facility. There is a reality that there's a place of punishment. We call it hell. And Jesus says, don't fear the one who can only do something to this body. Instead, fear. Does that feel weird? Some of you know, you're like, no, I, I fear God. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, 14, right? I, yeah. But God is not portrayed this way as often as I think maybe he ought to be. Jesus in his love tells us there ought to be a healthy, and I think the, best, the closest I can get to comprehending what this is about, I'm going to say again with my dad and electricity, there was a healthy respect for that power in those wires, right? That's, I think, the direction to think about this. There's a healthy respect of reality that ought to be sinking in to our minds when it comes to this. Those lovinous hypocrisies were there. Let me say it this way. If you find yourself living a hypocritical life, not only is it what I said earlier, it's also this. It's a misplaced fear problem. It's a misplaced fear problem. I'd like to be honest about an example of my own heart. I have a fear, I mentioned earlier, I have a fear of bringing shame to God. I, I genuinely do. I've seen enough pastors fall that there's a part of me that goes, I, I, I'm genuine. Like I, that may, the, the, just the thought of it makes me nervous, this world we live in. I'm like, Lord, I do not want to be the next Ravi Zacharias, even if on a small scale here. I do not want that, Lord. And there's a healthy fear of it. I think that doing something that would make God look bad is something I'm genuinely nervous about. I'm cautious. There's quite a bit of that that is, I think, very good and quite helpful. Avoiding any type of possibilities or any situations or scenarios. Try to avoid all of those, and that's very helpful. But I have found, I'm going to be honest, I have found that in myself, some of that fear that I have is a here and now sort of fear. It's very short-sighted fear. Okay? I found that work, it's, I fear the embarrassment. That can be very motivational, can it not? The embarrassment or the humiliation, being caught in my sin, humiliated for those things. Again, I'm not going to lie, that can be very helpful. But, if my only fear is a fear of getting caught, do you see the problem that's inherent to that? That's what Jesus is addressing here. If the only fear is really, if ultimately you recognize within yourself, the really, really the fear I have is just a fear of being caught, it opens up a little door, does it not? The thought then enters your mind. I could, when the thought goes, I could do this and not get caught, I wonder, again, if that's how it happens with the Ravi Zacharias. Right? The opportunity came, and he didn't think he would ever be, it would ever be known. And I think this is a solution to destroying the last little remnants of leaven of the Pharisees in our hearts, is placing our fear Rightly so. The hypocritical life is a short-sighted way to live. But I think this hypocritical life is also a life of misplaced fear. There ought to be a healthy respect for who God is and facing him one day. Now praise God. Praise God for Jesus.
if I talked about this without bringing this in, the hope of salvation, everything you've ever done can be forgiven in Christ. Can it not? If we use that as a license, I think that is a showing that we are not in Christ. Does that make sense? Because I know that earlier when I said every secret thing would be, I know some of you got some baggage and some junk in your past that you're like, one day, if that is shadow on the reptiles, oh, I can't, I, oh, it's terrible. I think that those times can also be glorious on that day. Where some of those things that are presented and Jesus says, paid for. Paid for. This person has had faith in me, has repented of their sin. I have bought them with my blood. And we, we won't go with shame into eternity. We will go with gratitude into eternity. But that doesn't mean we ignore the warning. For myself, like I said, I'm being honest with you, I have found that just that I feel like, and I actually looked up some videos and I thought about putting one in here today of like microscopic level of leaven, yeast, and dough. They can have tiny little pieces of it that get in there. As soon as they get into the right circumstances, some sugar, some air, all of a sudden, what does that yeast do? Multiplies. And as I was reading and studying this week, I thought, Lord, if there's, a, if there's a, even a hair of that in me, a, a, just a, a shred of that in me, God, I pray that you just eradicate it. And I came to the realization that the way that it is eradicated is the truth of standing before God, that he is an all-knowing, ever-present God. Right? So I want to encourage you. We're going to do communion together. I want to encourage you as we partake today to before we get to this point, do some self-examination of saying, okay, Lord. Now, I don't think that if you go, man, I got all this junk I've been keeping. Like the, I know some of us, it's, it's, the extent of it has been thoughts. It's, it's, all, it's stayed up here. You haven't acted. It's up here, right? I know that there's some of that that is just characterized and classified as temptation, even Christ was tempted, but it's when we begin to entertain those things that things can begin to take root and grow. And so I want to encourage you today, if you recognize, just as we've talked through the day, if you've recognized, if you've thought about the secret practices of your life, the, the innermost depths of who you are, the way you view things, the way you think about things, the things that you say in dark places, if any of those things God has, that's it. I want to encourage you to today, Lord, help me to repent of that and walk away from that. Help me to grab onto this concept of who you are. But I don't want you to abstain. I want you, if you're repenting, if you're sitting here today, Lord, I, help me. And then I want to encourage you to make sure you make your way up here because your hope is found in him. Your hope is found in the greatness of all that he's done for you. That fear of God balanced with that love of his son and all he's done for you. Those things together, grace and truth unstoppable in the human heart by the power of the spirit.
And so I want to encourage you to take a few moments to examine. I'm going to come over here and pray. Paul's going to start playing. Um, and then after, let's give it a minute. If you guys want to come down, work your way back, come down this aisle and grab. So I'm going to pray for these things. And then at, you know, wait just a minute or so. I'm not going to say anything. Just wait a minute or so. When you're ready, come up, get, take it back to your seat, piece of bread, that cup. And then once everybody's gone through the line, I'll lead you through the rest, okay? Let me go ahead and pray for these things. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your great love for us and in the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to bring those thoughts and those realities to remembrance today. Lord, I pray that you help us to remember who you are, what you've done. Lord, I pray as well that we would hear your teaching of warning this morning. I pray that we would hear it, take heed, take it to heart. Lord, I pray that you bless this bread and bless this cup. I pray that today would be a day and this moment would be a means of grace in each and every one of our lives this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.